This morning we are returning to the book of Romans. We had been, we started last spring uh, and had been going through Romans and then we took a break for Christmas and then uh, we had a New Year's series and now we're finally returning to Romans chapter 8. That's where we stopped was between chapter 7 and chapter 8. And so uh, I think we'll ease back into it with just one verse this morning. And that, that verse is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, as I read this and as I look at this, there is therefore now... There is therefore now. This, this little word now is sort of a, a temporal conditional thing, right? It, 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 it has effect, and it has effect starting now. The, the reason that that's important is because it just begs the question, what was before? Right? If I'm in one room and I hear a noise in the other room and I go, kids, are you doing what you should be doing? And they say, we are now. It makes me curious what was happening up to this very moment, right? And so that, that's what I, I want to look at in just a moment. Because what I did is I read that verse. I went, okay, we'll just pick it up in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. And I stopped and I went, I know I preached this. But what... What just happened in Romans? Because it's, it's been a couple of months. And so what I did is I started backing up into Romans chapter 7. And then that made me back up into Romans chapter 6 so I could remember what 7 was about. That made me, anyway, rather than do that with you, I thought I'd just start at the beginning and work our way forward up to this point, okay? So, so when we're talking about there is no condemnation now, we have to remember that in Romans chapter 1, it said in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so right, right at the beginning of uh, Romans in chapter 1, after Paul has given his introduction and said, Hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you, the church in Rome. Right after that, he starts getting into this and saying, Look, look. God has revealed himself in such a way that everyone is without excuse and yet they are doing things that are contrary to who God is. Rather than acknowledging who God is, people are just doing their own thing and they are replacing the glory of God. 
That immortal being who created all things in the very beginning and has always existed and is sovereign over everything, they have replaced him with other little things that really are just copies of images of things. Animals and people. and They they have elevated these things to this primary place of importance and they bow down to them and worship them and have replaced the eternal God with those things. And then he goes on to talk about all of the sins and all of the, the, the types of things that these kinds of people do. The lying and the cheating and the stealing and all the things that people who have rejected God do. And you start when you're in the church to see those kinds of things and that kind of list and go, oh yeah, oh man, people who have rejected God, they are really depraved. They really, they really um, do all kinds of really awful things. And just as you begin to think that, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You also have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God falls rightly on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who, by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." He, he, he sets this out for us so that we, we end up sort of trapping ourselves. Right as we start to think that there are other people out there who are doing all of the wrong things, he flips it on us and shows us that, oh, this is a mirror. I, I see now. I, I see. I was, I was judging you, and you are me. Because I am the one who is doing these things. And when we're ruthlessly honest with, with ourselves, we recognize that that's where we have found ourselves. Right? We, we may try not to do that. But if we are honest with ourselves, looking back at the things that we have done, there are things there that we are not too proud of. I find that those who uh, don't have anything to be embarrassed about have forgotten a lot. Do you ever find yourself where, where you're reminded of something that you said or reminded of something that you did that even it was back there a ways and you just cringe? Oh, yeah, I did say that. Why did I do that? Why did that seem like such a good idea at the time? Why did that seem like such a funny thing to do at the time? That was really dumb. And we find that for wherever we are at right now, back there, that was definitely a problem. 
those things that we have already done, those, those sins that we have committed, that, that just, they, they're there in the back of your mind and they bother you. What, what do you do about those? Do you have one of those? That, that we'll call it the condemning sin. The one that you go, oh, yep, I'm guilty. Even if it wasn't for any, for everything else I have done, that, for that one thing. That's my condemning sin. And it just, it's just there. It, it eats at you and haunts you. In Romans 2, verse 12, it says, For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience always also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Which is to say that those of us who know, have the instructions, the word of God that tells us this is how we are to live. It's not just because we have that, right? That, that's not what makes us righteous. Oh yeah, I have the Bible, I've even read it. That, that doesn't make us righteous. It's those who do what the Bible says that you're supposed to do. At which point, somebody always raises their hand and goes, well, hang on, time out. What about the people that don't have the Bible? What about the people who have never read? Well, their conscience bears them witness. Accusing or excusing them and telling them, you know, you're not supposed to do that. It, it's hardwired into them. The people who don't have the Word of God. It's hardwired into everybody. This, this innate understanding that there are things that I should be doing and things that I should not be doing. And what we recognize is that there are times that we find ourselves doing the things that we know we should not be doing. And our conscience and the Word of God both agree and say, eh, wrong sin. It's no good. It's no good. And so we find ourselves, by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, in a place where we are condemned. We are. There's nobody who stands without excuse. There's nobody who stands and says, oh, I don't have a sin issue, and I never have. Nobody can say that. So we all find ourselves in this place of great need, and it says in Romans chapter 3, but now... There's another now. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. 
Right there in chapter 3, after we find that all of us stand condemned, even those of us who would like to step back and go, oh no, you have the problem, but I don't have the problem. All of us have that problem together. We all have the sin problem together. And then we get into chapter 3 and we have this great statement of the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that um, apart from the law, apart from works of righteousness, we have been justified by Jesus. The righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe. There is this righteousness that comes. You go, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Even though I did have a sin problem, now I have this righteousness that comes through faith. And chapters 4 and and chapter 5 lay out this explanation of what it means to live by faith and why it's so important to live by faith and that the righteousness comes by faith. So that by the time you get to chapter 6, you're asking yourself, oh, so then sin doesn't matter then, right? Sin doesn't matter. We, we did have a sin problem, but it's totally been taken care of in Jesus. Gospel, good news, woohoo! Sin doesn't matter anymore. I can do whatever I please because Jesus takes care of that. Romans 6 verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so Paul is is telling them, look, you, you can't just go back into sin and let grace cover that. That's, that's not what we're, we're, we're being told to do. What we're being told to do is you've been set free from sin so that now you can live in this life of righteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the good news is that you've been set free from that sin. Now you can move on to something different. And those of us who uh, have believed in Jesus and have begun to walk in His righteousness then go, Yeah! I can walk in righteousness. That sin is so done. That's so over. I'm not doing that anymore. Do you ever find that you say that with your words, but then your actions don't carry it out? That was so back there. I know. I know. All have sinned, and I am one of them. But the good news has come, forgiveness has made me clean, and now in the power of God and through faith I can walk in righteousness, and we find ourselves taking like three steps and we've stepped in sin again. And we're going, what? How did I get this sin on me again? I was so clean. And so you wipe it off and you go, okay, had a little misstep. 
But now, by the power of God and in faith in Christ Jesus, I am going to walk on in righteousness. And you step in it again and go, really? Who is leaving all this sin everywhere? Why is it that every time I go to take a step, there's sin and I'm stepping in it again? So that by the time you get to the end of chapter 7, it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the struggle that is in the Christian life. We find ourselves wanting so much. Wanting so much to walk in faith and in righteousness apart from sin, knowing that God has forgiven us, that we have been reconciled to Him, that, that grace has covered over it so that it's all done and taken care of. And yet we find ourselves in this constant battle that every time we want to do what is right, sin is right there going, Hey, I have this idea. Why don't we do this instead? And you go, Ooh. That sounds pretty good. And other times it's not that kind of temptation. Other times it's just this reaction. We, we, we know how we are supposed to be living with one another in gentleness, patience, forbearance, kindness, with all love and humility. But then I get tired and hungry. And the patience and humility go right out the window. Because I love you on my good days, and on my bad days I am selfish. And on those selfish days I find myself doing these things that I just wished wasn't there. What do you do when that happens? You go, oh well, better luck next time. Or do you beat yourself up over it? Wallow in it? Kick yourself? Determine that next time it will be better? You'll just wipe it off and then tomorrow I'm going to get up? I'm going to get up, I'm going to do my devotions, and I'm going to pray for an hour. And then, having started the day off right, I will succeed in walking in righteousness. And then you find your willpower is not as strong as your ideas the night before. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I, I really, I really do. I really do delight in it. I just feel so weak in trying to do it. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. We know that before we had Christ, we were stuck in sin. And now that we have Christ, we still have this thing that wrestles with us. But now we have this hope that even in the midst of that, even recognizing the wrestling, recognizing the struggle, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's amazing. Because when we have those condemning sins that remind us, hey, you're worthless. Hey, you're not good enough. Hey, remember that stuff you did back then? Hey, remember that stuff you did yesterday? Hey, hello? Those sins that condemn us in the back of our mind or sometimes are right there in front of us staring us in the face. When we have those, we remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you look at chapter 5, in verse 15, it says, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. It's, it's a free gift that comes to us that brings justification rather than condemnation. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Over and over and over again it says it, that even though many of us are sinning, it only takes the one. It only takes the one to make, make us righteous. It only takes the faithfulness of Jesus and his righteousness given to us. It only takes him. So that he makes us righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation for whom? For those 
who are in Christ Jesus. When we have that temporal uh, condition, the now, he's not talking about now at the time that he wrote it. He's not talking about now, 2018. He's not talking about now, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came. What he's talking about is now for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the now. If you are in Christ Jesus, your now is now. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you are still in condemnation. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? He told us in chapter 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with Him, right? In Him, united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. Not just we acknowledge Christ and say, oh yeah, Jesus. Right? That There was lots up to this point in Romans that, that is saying, no, no, you don't continue on in your sin. You now walk in righteousness. But there's a struggle. But there's a struggle. And so how do we reconcile that struggle? It's that we who are in Christ Jesus, that is, we are delighting in the law of God. We are walking with Him. Yes, we don't do it all the time. There is a struggle. It seems that at some points like there's a battle or a war being waged within us for the things that we want to do versus the things that we do do. But we're pursuing Him. We are in Him. We identify, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And in so doing, we have been united with Him and we have died with Him in His death and we have raised, been raised with Him in His resurrection so that we have a new kind of life, a life with God that is free from condemnation. It's free from condemnation. The thing that I have been wrestling with about that this week is how is it that we can have the struggle at the end of chapter 7 and the no condemnation at the beginning of chapter 8? I haven't figured it out. I was really hoping that on Sunday morning, by this morning, I could stand up and I could go, you know what? I figured it out. It took me all week, 
But here's the answer. You do both struggle and not have condemnation. I was sitting here this morning and and, uh, was told by one of my friends, you're not supposed to be still wrestling with it on Sunday morning. Still wrestling with it on Sunday morning. We are not condemned, but we still struggle. We are not condemned, but we do still struggle. And so as God looks at us, He will not judge us for our failures in the struggle. We are not justified when we succeed. We are not condemned when we fail. But because we are united with Him and walking with Him, we are in Christ. We have no condemnation even in the midst of the struggle when we fail. And I have come to the point where I cannot explain that to you and say, this is how that works. All I can say is, whew, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Because otherwise my temptation is to say, I was a sinner, now I have been forgiven, now I will continue to walk in Christ on my own effort, but that can't work because I struggle and I continue to fail. All I can say is that even when I do fail, I am not condemned. And so those things that accuse us, that hang out behind us and go, hey, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'm sorry. Did you really think you were a Christian? A Christian would do that. I'm sorry. Did you really think you were a child of God? Loved by God? With those kinds of things in your background? I'm sorry. Did you think God could accept you? When being a proclaimed Christian, you did that yesterday? When we have those things hanging right behind our head, accusing us of the things that we know that we have done, yet we say, I am in Christ. And I am not condemned. I am in Christ. And I am not condemned. By God's grace, I will improve. By God's grace, I am forgiven. By God's grace, I will continue to walk with Him and delight in Him and rejoice that day after day His mercies are new to me and He has forgiven me and He will not condemn me. And it is my invitation to you to rejoice in that today. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We can walk in the light here. We can help one another. We can walk with each other through struggles and know this is okay here. Because in Christ we are not condemned. 
And it's my invitation to you to rejoice in that this morning through communion. Because what we're doing when we're taking communion together is we are proclaiming that very thing. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I identify with his body, which died. I I identify with his blood, which ran for me. I identify with his death, being recognizing, Romans 6, 5, that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's what we are proclaiming together as we take communion. And so the worship team is going to come back up and lead us in another song. And during that song, I would encourage you, if you believe that Jesus is your uh, Savior, I would invite you to come up. There's a table here or one in the back. You can take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And then I will come back up after the next song and we will take it all together demonstrating that this is who we are. We are in Christ. If that's not where you find yourself this morning, and you say, no, you know, I am not ready to commit to Christ. Uh, Interesting, perhaps, but that's not for me. Then I would encourage you just to to, uh, stay in your seat. There's no need for you to um, be hypocritical in taking this with us. That's where you're at today. But I would invite you to consider the things that we've talked about from Romans, uh, the book of Romans today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.